What's up, everybody? Raul here on the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am sitting across from the gorgeous George. Uh, oh, hey. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm very well. Happy to be here. It's I know. my first time out here. You just came in. You just flew in at one o'clock today. I just I just came in and then came straight here. I like I still have sand from Arizona in my boots. That's that's how fast this Maybe you'll leave with was. some uh, snow from Utah. I'll <laughs> bottle I, I did, it up for you. I did a little a little video uh, when I jumped out of the car and I filmed the snow, right? Uh-huh. And I'm like, man, this is so 2017. <laughs> I say that and, and it'll make sense for people that know me because I left Chicago in 2017 to oh, no longer nice. be in snow. Yeah. Uh, and then I found myself in snow again. That, that, that's one thing I miss about Arizona is the lack of snow. Right. And the lack of cold. Well, that's the beauty of, of Prescott itself, right? It, it'll be snowy like this, but as soon as the sun breaks, oh, phew, yeah. gone. Nice and warm, yeah, too. You it's know? so nice. Oh, it's great. Uh, so today's podcast, we have Chris, Chris Gulls from TTOG, um, Florida-based dude, great guy, does a bunch of tactical training, and he's... Take, he's taken some time out of his day to to do this podcast with me, and it, it kind of jives really cool in the sense that we go into history, we do a little bit of now and then, and it's just back and forth, and then it's just some random banter that's thrown in there, kind of like the usual stuff that we yeah. do, right? So, uh, yeah, I hope you guys uh, really enjoy this one. We'd like to hear your feedback on it. Uh, get ready for that, but first, some of our awesome sponsors. Yeah, so first we're going to start out with uh, Casey Highlights. If you don't know, you can find Casey Highlights at CaseyHighlights.com. We have a pretty uh, nice little discount code for them. It's Fieldcraft, and you get to save 10%. And um, so Casey Highlights, they've been around for 50 years. Um, that kind of tells you something about that company. If your company's around for 50 years, it's kind of an iconic company. You yeah, see that it's that, older than me. Yeah, you, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you see that round, that yellow round, you know, light cover with the Casey on it or the, or the smiley face. And, um, you know, you know that you're getting a good quality. And all their lights has a purpose. So they have light bars, they have the ditch lights, they have the rock lights for underneath your wheel wells. They have, I mean, if you can mount a light on it, you can use a Casey highlight on it. So like on top of the truck, on underneath top, the underneath truck, underneath everything, Damn. rear sides. I mean, anything you get a light on, you can use it on, uh, you know, say if you're a construction guy at a work site, yeah. you're working late, you throw in that light bar, maybe you can get an extra hour. So hour basically in. at night you can make it daytime. Basically. Yeah. That's how bright it <laughs> Casey is. Highlights. It's like light awesome. at night. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Seuss here. Oh man. Uh, you know, I want to talk about, uh, triarch systems really quickly because man, look, I've put so many rounds Dude, through, you the, have through been- the carbine. <laughs> All over the states, uh, training and that, shooting so and not, shooting. I don't clean shooting. that gun, right? Yeah. Because I want to see what it does, right? Yep. And and Chris also agreed. Chris Reeves from, from Triarch was like, yeah, do your thing with it. And mm-hmm. I just, I take the thing. I don't abuse it on purpose. Things just get used. And but when you things run get it, used, you Yeah, use you can it. see it. And I hand it off to students and it's I'm like, tool. here, you use it. You tell me what you think. And people are just like, man, this is awesome. Uh, their customer service is great. I brought it in. They, they tightened some things up on it. And they, all they said was like, yeah, you use it a lot. So it's mm-hmm. obviously going to loosen up. Yeah. And uh, they fixed it on the spot. Like they stopped what they were doing, which is huge for customer service, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, but that thing, uh, 20 plus thousand rounds. And it's a rifle, man. It's not this like pristine. 
Yeah. Like you don't, you're not, you don't baby a rifle. You know what I mean? It's a metal, it's a piece of tool. It's a tool. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if it it's a bunch ground, of metal that a, a dude forged yeah. somewhere or a machine for whatever. Right. Exactly. Uh, but it was made to be used. Yep. And that's, what, I don't, I don't like to use abuse again, but I use that thing more than the average person who owns oh, yeah. one. Right. Yep. So if you're seeing wear and tear on my gun, it's because hundreds of people have shot it and touched it and, and played with it. And mm-hmm. I shoot it all the time. And then it, 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 that thing has sat in the sand in Florida, in the monsoons of Arizona. It's been in the deserts of Nevada. Like you name it. Oh, Every yeah, single everywhere. state that we train in, that thing has been in there in the swamps, man. Uh, and, and it holds up well. Uh, but recently in, in uh, Florida where we did this podcast, uh, I shot the, Glock 17 model that they have, oh, their yeah. Triarch 17, uh, with an awesome uh, optics cut on that one, uh, and I shot the whole class right because I'm I'm trans- transitioning into running optics. I'm mm-hmm. like I'm going to run optics for a year just just to get yeah. back to it. Right, once upon a time I competed a little bit with with an optic. Um, and I'm just going to come back to it. So, uh, I ran the, the handgun, the Glock 17 cut for the armor, beautiful Triarch piece. Uh, again, shout out to Triarch for, for letting me, <laughs> I hate to use abuse, but they really do get <laughs> beat up. Uh, they get put in a case, they get tossed around. You know how baggage handlers oh, are. Yeah, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. Like, and they see that it's a hard case and they treat it yeah. even worse. Like, yeah, like, take the abuse. I'm like, man, that giant like chipped out <laughs> chunk of plastic was not there before. That's a lot of force to take that <laughs> they, chunk dude, out. Dude, they beat those things up. And even if it says like handle it, it doesn't even matter, no. man. So it, it's in there getting battered and beaten. And, you know, it's a little, little or big brother and little sister, the, the pistol and the carbine and the tri 11s, all of that in that case. And then they do their thing. They, they survive. They shoot well. They hold up. Uh, that's the important part is how well they hold up. So if you guys are interested in getting one of your own, uh, full builds. I'm an advocate of full builds. I know a lot of people like to build guns, but I see a lot of those hand homemade built guns mm-hmm. um, fail in courses. So I'm a big advocate of fully built guns. Yeah, because like every piece fits. Everything is it's just not like yeah. one company. You got the trigger for one company, the charging out for another right. company, the spring from another company. It's all one company. They put it all together at the same same location. Yeah, everything's just hand fitted and it's done there. Like I've seen Chris personally with my own eyes filing things down to make sure everything is to spec, and that's impressive when the company owner's in there grinding, oh, yeah. doing his thing to make sure that you guys yep. are getting a good product. That's good that he like a owner that cares about his product, cares about his customers, getting the best quality. I look at it like Chark is one of those companies that you buy at one time. Yeah. There's no, there's no need to buy another one. There's no need to like, yeah. you buy it one time and that will last throughout generations of your, of your family or however you want to, you know, pass it down. Yeah, no, they, they do a really great job. So if you guys are interested in getting your own field craft, one word will save you 5% field craft, yeah. one word. Next up we have Killcliff. You can find them at killcliff.com and basically Killcliff is a clean energy drink. They have everything from the Ignite to the CBD recoveries. Uh, the Ignite has about 150 milligrams of clean caffeine. They also have uh, B vitamins, electrolytes. So if you need to get going throughout the day to take an Ignite, they also have a recovery drink where it has 25 milligrams of uh, clean caffeine, B vitamins, all that stuff. But my favorite right now is the CBD recovery drinks. Um, they taste delicious. There's five flavors right now. My favorite is the grapes of all time. Oh. Tomorrow, wait, is tomorrow Friday? Yes. Yeah, tomorrow's Thursday. Friday. Thursday. No, Thursday. tomorrow's Thursday. 
but I will be getting a shipment of the Flaming Joe in on Friday, hopefully. What flavor is that? It's a new one that they did with Joe Rogan. Oh. And it's like a flaming pineapple, so it's like it's like a spicy oh, pineapple. So, oh, that sounds kind of good. Um, I'll make sure to uh, drink that and let you guys know what it tastes like. But yeah, uh, save me one. Yeah, we have um, a coupon code. It's survival10. It saves you 10% on every purchase of Killcliff. Yeah, once again, check those them out at killcliff.com. Hell yeah. All right, folks. It's time. Get ready for the show. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. Today, I'm your host, Raul Martinez. And with me, we have Chris Galls from Florida. What's up, guys? No, no, no. That's too easy. (laughs) Introduce yourself. (laughs) Say hello. Hi, guys. I'm uh, Chris from uh, Miami, Florida. Uh, And? (laughs) <laughs> and I am a uh, instructor for Fieldcraft Survival and the owner of TTOG, Tactical Training Operations Group. Is that like a, an acronym that came from the Marine Corps? <sighs> Christ, I wish it was, man. It's just an acronym I came up with because I thought it sounded cool to say TTOG as a short name. <laughs> but why does that sound cool, T-Tog? I don't know. You know, uh, these days it's Tater Tog, T-Tog. Oh, if I feel yeah. fancy, it's Tatog. <laughs> It's whatever you're in the mood for. That's it, man. Man, that's funny. Tell me, uh, t- well, tell us uh, a little bit about why we're doing this and, and kind of the setup that we have, because it's actually pretty funny. Uh, we're currently in a hotel room at the Hampton Inn in Okeechobee, Florida. We got uh, the microphone set up on top of a table, on top of Raul's <laughs> Pelican case on top of a shoe where the microphone is inserted. <laughs> if you guys can't picture this, just imagine what a hotel room would look like with the little table, uh, a seahorse case model 840 with a Vans high top shoe, <laughs> a microphone jammed right into the shoe, and Chris speaking into it. And I'm across from him on the couch working the knobs and the volume adjustments and all that good stuff uh just kidding we're in a professional studio we're doing everything from the road and everything is super cool and dynamic and awesome and everything that everybody wants it to be but we are in florida we just finished um gunfighter pistol one and tomorrow's gunfighter pistol two which is going to kick ass and it's just going to be a lot of fun uh what have you been saying on the road lately with people pandemic scares a lot of people two-way community bands together training goes on life goes on man that was kind of deep but yeah life goes on uh where's your mask you have your mask on you it's in my room (laughs) uh how often do you do this where's my mask thing daily in miami especially is it bad? Yeah, Miami's still rough. Is it really? Yeah. They got hit with that second wave thing or whatever? Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. Is it, so, how is it with the public? Is it more like the young crowd, the old crowd? Who is more worried or who's not worried? What about, like, the hardcore people? Like, people that aren't as American, you know what I'm saying? The locals. The Haitians. Man, I don't know. <laughs> I'll speak from how I feel about it. I'm kind of over it. It kind of 
kind of sucks. I think it's funny when people drive around their cars with their mask on and they're in there by themselves. I think that's weird. Uh, as far as having to wear masks everywhere you go, I understand it. I see the guidelines. I understand why everybody's doing what they're doing, but man, it's just, I can't wait till this pandemic's over. Yeah, uh, it'll be over soon. Uh, maybe it's just me and I'm, a, and I'm an optimist, but I'm just like, mm. comes in waves and yeah. people learn new things. And I think that's kind of where that goes. So I'm not really worried about it. I think it'll, it'll be better sooner than later. I hope so. Yeah. Ride the wave. <laughs> yeah, my girl says that all the time. Ride the wave roll. Like the last time I tried to ride a wave, I almost died in Mexico. Don't do that, by the way. Don't ride waves. Don't die in Mexico. Yeah, especially when the tide's going out, because it's really hard to swim back in. And for those of you who don't know, swim on an angle. Don't try to swim straight back in, because you will probably get tired, and then you will continue to be pulled out. Swim on an angle. So we just we just taught some survival shit uh, in here, because we are fieldcraft survival. About swimming. Yeah. Damn, dude. I miss swimming. Yeah. I was just fishing, but I didn't go swimming because that would probably be a bad idea. In How'd that go, by the way? I saw some pictures. It looked awesome. <sighs> fishing is cool, man. Um, it's an experience. I like it. Um, the last time I was fishing, I was in Costa Rica pulling these 90-pound tuna in, which smokes your back. What a fight. <sighs> man. But that was fun. You, you just imagine one boil here and you cast into it. Boom. Fish is on. Cast another one over here, boom, fish is on. Over here, boom, fish Crushing is on. It. Just getting them. Uh, and then we would see people come out of the water, and they have like uh, those, what are those, uh, the shooting underwater guns? What are those called? Are you having a brain fart? Jesus, I did. I'm live. <laughs> you live it on was an SBD one, too, though. It was a silent but deadly one, because uh, my head just blew up yeah. thinking about it. Uh, whatever those... Uh, I, I was going to say a harpoon, and I was like, that's totally wrong. No, it's, in my, it's in my head, too. I can't think of spear fishing. Spear guns. Yeah. Uh, dudes would come up with, like, their tanks on, and they're like, they're like, oh, screaming shit. And they're like, I can only imagine what it's like being underwater, and then schools of 90-pound tuna swimming past you. These are just meat bullets. Imagine Scary. getting hit by one of those. Scary. Fuck. And so they're like, yeah, we're doing, we're trying to spear fish these guys. And it didn't work, <laughs> obviously. By the time you're like taking aim and I don't even know how much you got to lead by, like that, that's a whole nother realm shooting underwater. That's crazy. Yeah. People can't even shoot above water. <laughs> that's a fact. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know how we got into talking about fishing and tuna, but uh, this was definitely more about you and getting to know Chris and letting everybody hear who Chris is and all the work he's been doing for Fieldcraft Survival, um, pistol, carbine, long range. Uh, he consults on law enforcement on training as well. So uh, let's get to it. Let's get to who Chris is as a little bambino, a little child. How was it growing up in, in uh, was it Miami? Is that where you grew up? No, actually I grew up in uh, Kissimmee, Central Florida. I don't man. know what that is. Jeez, it's right by Orlando. I don't think anybody knows what that uh, is. I think now they do. It's gotten way bigger than it used to be. That's for sure. I don't really, uh, I don't spend too much time up that way anymore these days, bro. You guys got palm trees there? I don't think so. No? I was recently told that even palm trees in Florida aren't really from Florida. Isn't that crazy? Man, what a lie. I've been Imported. Living. Yeah. I'm, I've been living a lie. Unbelievable. All the ones in Phoenix? Imported. Yeah, man. 
that's it's it crushes my soul it's because crazy. I really like palm trees. Yeah. I'm not one to get palm trees. They set tattoos, the pace though. Remember when you came to my house and uh, my backyard, you were like, these palm trees are awesome, bro. Yeah. <laughs> They're awesome. They are awesome. Um, damn it. But the lies. Uh, so growing up in central Florida, what was that like? It was pretty awesome. That was uh, mid nineties, early two thousands. Rock and roll was still cool. Hip hop was nothing like what it is now. Yeah. Played sports, was a wrestler, football player, weightlifting team. Pretty much your average meathead kid. Jesus. What was your diet like? I didn't even know what that was, man. Because that metabolism was so great. You, you could eat whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> still have a six pack. You're like, geez, awesome. is this forever? No. Uh, no. No. I heard I heard you were like you weighed like 165, 170. 155, 165. <sighs> and then my military weight in the Marine Corps was 165, 155. Yeah. I always fluctuated in that area. Damn. And now you're like 275 pounds. 275 <laughs> minus 60. Don't make people do math. I just did that math because I graduated high school. Man. Can you believe that? That's 215 pounds, by the way. Yeah, that's a GED. <laughs> <laughs> that's GED math. Right next to TTOG. That's right, <laughs> oh, dude. Man. Oh, shit. So what about high school? Was high school the same, like sports, same type of activity, all that good stuff? Yeah, I think so. You know, I always was one of the kids that uh, stayed busy. I knew the crowd that would get in trouble. I saw why they would get in trouble and I was just always into sports. I knew that sports, once I really got into them, especially football, was a guidance tool. You know, you got coaches that are there to constantly f give you feedback help you, give you direction. And a lot of that direction doesn't just apply on the field, it also applies in your regular life once you're out of there. Yeah, it sounds like uh, like you took advantage of that concept, right? A, a kid that's good at being coached is gonna be good at being a good business person and a good you know student overall, right? There's sure. a saying that I just couldn't piece it together. Like you have to teach your kids to be coachable, right. essentially, right? Absolutely. And if you can be coachable, then you can be mentored. Um, that's really important, man. I think it is. Um, when did you, so I know you went into the Marine Corps, right? Cause crayons and shit, but <laughs> I love red ones. Yeah. Does it taste like cherry or strawberry? Just to be honest. They're all flavorless except for the red one. Uh, then it's, it just tastes like red. That's it. Yeah. Red is the best flavor. Huh? Red is a taste. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> um, what, what drove you into the, the Marine Corps? The whole like Semper Fi thing? You know, I was never about that no. at all. I, you know, I grew up playing sports. Like I said, my brother played uh, Division Three football up in Illinois. That's the path I wanted to go. I was a pretty good little ball player back in the day. I used to just run into people's souls and just crush them. Cause that's one day my coach was like, hey, you know when you run into a wall and you didn't plan on running through it and it just knocks you over? I was like, yeah, he goes, run into the wall without stopping and just keep going. And I was like, man, once I started using that mindset, I would just run through people. Taking that, I wanted to play football with my brother. He was a senior at that time. I would have been a freshman coming in. My old man called it, he knew it. He was like, hey, you come up here and you hang with your brother, you're gonna fail out your first semester. I give him credit where it's due. He was a thousand percent right. Damn. So what was it, the dynamic that you two had? Yeah, my brother was a party animal. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it was less of a balance? Like, you were like, well, I'm going to fucking party too. I'm going to burn it down. Yeah. Get out of the house. I'm burning <laughs> this sucker down. Oh, that's awesome. So how long did that last? That didn't last. You know, no. once I got back, I, well, I actually went up there, took a trip, met with the uh, counselors up there, the coach, my brother, attended one of the football games, sat down with uh, the finance office, and they told me, they were like, hey, we'll give you a 50% scholarship. We don't give athletic scholarships, Division Three. Mm. And I remember my dad, my old man, after that meeting, he was like, hey, where are you gonna get that other 50% from? Yeah, boy, he put it on you. He put it on me right there. Yeah. Hey, leadership rule number one right there, dude. Yeah. Present a you problem, want it, present get to a solution. It. Exactly. Yeah. So I saw the problem in front of me, and I've always been a pretty independent dude. I realized what I needed to do, and I was like, man, there's a recruiter at my school. He walks around all the time. It's funny, I did uh, Marine Corps JROTC my freshman year in high school, and I hated it. I thought it was terrible. I was like, your uniforms are stupid. <laughs> I think that this whole thing that you guys are doing, this is silly. They would shoot BB guns for like marksmanship. Yeah. It's really weird. And I ended up, that's the first place I looked. I was like, you know what? My mindset, freshman year, senior year, I was a different person. I was like, mm, those guys always look the most squared away. Let me talk to the recruiter. I talked to him. I was 17. I told him, I want to do what that dude's doing right there. He was like, which one? I go, the guy right there with the rope, the blonde guy with the blue eyes, with the camo on his face, <laughs> poster boy, yeah. Marine, He's square a, jaw. Well, was he like, well, nobody knows what he does, but you can join the Marine Corps. Right, he just looked amazing. <laughs> I was like, I wanna do what that guy does. He goes, that's infantry and that's recon. I was like, I definitely wanna do the infantry part. I don't know what recon is right now. Yeah. So he goes, all right, well, we can get you squared up on that. Let's have a meeting with your folks. They met, my parents signed the paperwork, I was 17, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And then, how long before you were gone? Not long. No. Yeah, I as soon as you, the day I graduated. you graduated and turned 18, right, and then you go? The day I graduated, oh, nice. I left. I didn't hang out, I didn't do nothing. I literally graduated high school, I shook my old man's hand, gave my mom a hug, and I hopped on that bus. Yeah. How was, <laughs> how was day one when you arrived? Oh man, Jesus Christ, what is going on here? You're looking around, first off, you're standing on these yellow footprints, these dudes are just hammering you out, screaming <laughs> at you. You're like, I don't know what's going on. This dude sounds like a frog with that frogman drill instructor yeah, voice. Yeah. Scariest thing I ever heard at that time <laughs> in my life. I you're was like, like, why does a human male make this noise? What is he saying to me? I don't understand what freaking doggone is. I don't know what the <laughs> hell that is. Uh, but you learn quick, man. That was a scary day. That was probably no sleep for the first three days, just through all, all the busyness, checking in, all that whole process. What stood out to you the most about that process? other than the obvious frog human um, noises and the, the chaos that's part of the program. The way they looked. Yeah. That's a crisp, that is a crisp product of what the Marine Corps is. That is one of the most pressed individuals with a mission that I think has ever been created on this planet. A drill instructor 
is just somebody that is there to completely break you down and rebuild you. And I remember looking at that and everybody looks like shit, right? We all look like crap. Yeah, all the baggy clothes. Brutal. Yeah, brutal. Your hair, your hair, what you have left, because they shaved your head, it's bleeding. Yeah. Right? Because they just shave your head real quick. So everybody's got blood on their head. And I remember we all look like crap. And that dude is so squared away. Jesus, look at that guy's sleeves. Yeah. Well, look he out. represents everything that you guys now have to aspire to Correct. be, right? So, yeah, that that's got to be an interesting that sensation, was. right? And uh, so during during the bleeding head, staring at this dude who's what you are all striving to be. What did you think as far as how long you're here for? Forever. <laughs> right? It feels that way. That is the feeling, man. I, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. Cause that, that's why I was asking that. It's like, what is this feeling? And you're standing there looking like, man, today's the beginning of forever here. That's it. There's nothing that's else. It. And I joined the Marine Corps to be the, uh, the next Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. Right. Yeah. I was like, I am that guy. That's me. Dude. <laughs> it, it, it's funny because it's so true. You're, you're there and you're like, whoa, what is happening? And even day one erases everything about what you thought you knew the military was. You're like, what the shit did I just get into? And it's cool because it, it starts that way and then they guide you through, right? And then every day gets better and better and better. You start to learn more. You start to adapt better. You start to look more like that drill sergeant, right? You're starting to want to do that too. Like you're pressing your clothes better or you're at least creasing things better or the way you make your bed. Everything, the way you set up your, your clothing in your locker, it all becomes part of that. And that's what that's what that role model is supposed to be, right? It's like, Absolutely. this is the human version of what you should look like, now get to work, yep. right? Because a lot of the beginning of it is getting you, one, to look the part, right? They want to get you dressed up. They want to get you in the uniforms. They want to get you doing PT so your body looks like what it's supposed to look like in a uniform. So all of this is happening to get you programmed and ready for what's to come, right? Because week one and two is really just like, hey, welcome to this new way of living, right? And stand by. Yeah. So more than more than just like getting haircuts and learning about, you know, how you're you're gonna be dressed now and the uniforms that you have and everybody looks the same. It's even like how you shave. Now you have like time limits, how you shower. Against the grain. <laughs> Not with it. <laughs> Ever. Um, you have to make it hurt or it doesn't count. Absolutely. And so all this has to happen a certain way. And, uh, when, when week one is through, right. Did you guys have phases like red phase, black phase, gold phase, all that stuff? I remember we had first phase, second phase and third phase. What, what did, what did each phase do for, or how did that work in the Marine Corps? I know the army is a little different, so I'm trying to like distinguish the, Man, I'm trying to I find a difference. I remember that. I know that there's certain steps. I could tell you uniform wise from what you're wearing, you can always identify what phase, at least then, you know, this is 20 years ago, what phase you were in by what uniform you were wearing. So if you're wearing your camis, top, bottom, cover, and sneakers, your go fast, you're phase one. Mm. You're so you didn't even have one. boots yet. Right. You didn't deserve boots. You're, you don't deserve anything. <laughs> phase two. It's like prison. Phase two was boots. I can't remember if they were bloused or not. I want to say yes. And phase three was high and tight. So you're no longer getting your hair crushed to where you're bald. 
you're just getting a high and tight that still really hurts when they cut your hair. And that's how you could tell the different phases. Interesting. It's interesting that they went, they, well, I guess the Marine Corps does it that way. Um, I guess it kind of is the same. Everybody just has to start looking um, better and better. Right. How long before you guys started doing like rifle marksmanship and all the cool stuff that you wanted to do? Man, I want to say that second week or excuse me, second phase. I want to say that, that, uh, grass week, all the rifle work is part of second phase. That's what I remember. That's when all that starts to happen. I think so. Right now. In, uh, in that phase, did you at that point start to realize how much you like rifles? Well, let's let's talk about shooting then. Did you shoot already? Had you shot handguns, rifles before the Marine Corps? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we spent a small portion growing up in North Carolina, and I remember my old man taught me how to shoot his twenty-two Winchester. I still have that gun now. He taught me how to shoot with that, and I used to go out and just crush squirrels crush them with that and I was probably about nine years old when I really started learning how to shoot from there I got a uh, a red rider did you eat the squirrels bb gun no I was eating the crayons <laughs> why didn't you eat the squirrels man? I didn't know any of that survival stuff just yet man <laughs> I was like I would just run home with it and yeah. be like look what I got and my mom would be like are you kidding me put it in the trash go get rid of that and I'm like look I look at that shot my old man would always be like that's a good shot <laughs> nice were you hitting them while they were moving or were they standing still? I was crushing them while they were static. Oh, okay. Look at you. That's step one. I would trap them. Step one. Oh, you, trapping, not yeah. tracking. I would just trap them. Mm. Did you put out bait? No, no. I don't mean track them like terrible. that. I mean, just with the sights. I oh, would yeah. wait and then I'd be like, bam, go got with you. Them? <laughs> Farewell, squirrel. <laughs> so you get through, you get through Marine Corps um, what do you guys call it? Was it called basic marksmanship? Was it called marksmanship? What did you guys call it? I just it? remember they rifle call it range week. Yeah, rifle range, range week, grass week. You do a, a week of grass week was all dry fire drills and all that. I remember you shoot the dog targets on the barrels. Yeah. And then you actually hit the range for your quals, which is a whole week of that as well, live fire. Nice. How was it doing basic training rifle qualification? It was pretty awesome. It was very basic, but it was very awesome. At that time, you're a kid. I'm 17. I was like, this is awesome. I have an M16 in my hand. Check this out. Yeah. And the whole line's doing it, too. So yeah, everybody's everybody. like having a blast. So it's dangerous as hell, right? <laughs> a bunch <Man>. of kids. <laughs> that is, it's a, <laughs> it is crazy what happens with, with privates and guns. That's right. Um, but that's cool. It, it's part of that whole melting. Right. Uh, melting pot concept. Uh, like, hey, kid, you are a city kid. You've never seen guns. Here's a gun. Let's go to work. Yeah. And they can do that, right? Like the yeah. military is really good at building people from Absolutely. scratch or at least breaking them down to where they can be rebuilt. Because um, people do get booted out of the military. People that can't cut it or can't make it mentally, physically. Or, to adapt. Yeah, they just can't become part of the program. They boot those people out. So not everybody gets through, um, but a lot do. <laughs> a lot do. <laughs> So how, how long before you hit your unit um, after, did you know, like during graduation, like what unit you were going well, to? I knew, well, I knew my MOS was 0311 Rifleman. 
was so say, after what, what basic training boot camp, you go to it was infantry training battalion ITB mm-hmm. right outside Jacksonville, North Carolina. So I attended that. That was I think maybe eight weeks, nine weeks, not not too long. But that's where you really get dialed in, uh, learning how to be an infantryman, a rifleman. Interesting. What does it mean to, to be an infantry rifleman in the Marine Corps? Don't say everything, because I'll fucking leave right now. Because <laughs> I know that that's how the Marine Corps thinks. You were about to say it, and that's why I said that. It basically means that you're there to locate, close with, and destroy the enemy by fire and maneuver, or repel his assault by fire and close combat. <laughs> in other words, dude, you're a door kicker and it's awesome because you're with all your bros and you're doing awesome stuff. You got dudes that blow stuff up. You got dudes that shoot heavy guns. You got dudes that shoot the light guns. It's awesome. I wish uh, this was recorded with video because <laughs> you can see Chris literally lifted up his shirt and read it because he has it tattooed on his body, that message. <laughs> so he never forgets what it's like to be uh, an infantry. Well, that, T- that TBI, you know, I still got to go back and just clean up the second portion of it. I'm like, what is it again? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so half of it's on his, like, stomach and half is on his leg. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you guys are super proud, and that's that's cool, man. It's a cool morale boost, even even through and through, right? Because it's it continues into this brotherhood of forever, or whatever forever you guys like to do. Includes vehicle tags, as many stickers as humanly possible. Your as rank you can put on, on your, your cars. on your car window. It's everywhere. Yeah, I think Marines are the only ones that do that too. They do. <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> uh, some of the drills at at, at the. Uh, at drill school had their, their rank on their cars. I was like, Oh boy, uh, let's never do that. <laughs> um, but it's cool to be proud and, and, and it, it should be done with moderation. Like, don't go crazy. Like I get it. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was a good time and, and now it's not that time anymore. That's right. So, but that's cool. So you get all trained up, you get dialed in, the rest of you guys get dialed in. Do you guys then get branched off into units? Because that's, I mean, that's kind of how the army works. We'll go through OSET. We'll do our 16 weeks. Uh, Combat Arms does 16 weeks straight and with the same group. And then you get dished out to different units. Is that what happens with you guys? Or was it more, um, yeah, what what does happen? With yeah, that's it. Same that's thing? what happens. You just get dished out to different you just units? You get dished out, yeah. East Coast dudes usually go East Coast. West Coast dudes usually go West Coast. You got a couple anomalies in there. Oh, they do that? Yeah, you'll get some some uh, Cali dudes that end up on the East Coast. They piss somebody off? Ah, it sucks, though, dude. Travel back. I had one of my bros was from uh, Hawaii. That's a five. Well, Hawaii is a long Yeah, long that was. Flight. I always felt bad for him. He wanted to be a West Coast dude and get issued Oakleys, but, you know. No? No, hair gel and Oakleys, no way, bro. Rough. So how long were you in your unit before you did your first deployment? Man, I would say we were there less than a year for sure. Less than a year for sure. That first deployment, Afghanistan had just popped off. And in 02, end of 02, we deployed to Okinawa, Japan. We did a UDP out there, a unit deployment program. I like that you <laughs> that you clear out your little acronym thing is yeah i gotta explain what it is yeah or you can just say it without saying the unit acronym. deployment program <laughs> uh, 
You have to though, because it's like stickers on your car. You know what I mean? You have Same to thing. say stuff so that people know that you know. That's right. You know what I mean? <laughs> How was that rotation? That was awesome. Did you learn anything cool out there? That was a booze cruise. Was it? That was amazing. Yeah. What a great time. How long was that trip? Six months. All your guys' rotations are six months? No. Six to nine? Six to nine for sure. The combat rotations while I was in were all seven months. Hmm. Maybe some extensions, uh, depending on what unit, what mission you were there with. Yeah. But seven months was the average combat rotation for sure. So this is your, so that was your booze cruise. <laughs> um, when did the, when did the stuff kick off for you guys to go overseas? My first combat deployment was in 2005. Right on. And that was seven months? That was seven months. Yeah. How was it that first rotation then compared to like your last one? That was the Wild West. Yeah, right? Those days? Sure. <sighs> yeah, that was the Wild West. Man. We went out there and it was just, strap it up, boys, we're going. Uh, and we went. I get what you're trying to say with how little you're saying about it, but what does that mean? Strap it up, we're going. It was real. What was, what was, was a day-to-day? -day theater month? of operation was live. We were on the Syrian border. It was busy. We were having a tick pretty often, troops in contact. Um, we'd get in some pretty good gunfights. Going in line with that, we knew every time we left the wire, the FOB, our Ford operating base, every time we left, we were like, hey, check it out. We're here, we got each other. Let's make it back together and let's push out on this patrol. So we knew, I mean, there was a substantial likelihood that every time we would go out, we would be engaged. What was what was the mission at that time for you guys? Like, what, what was the purpose for you guys to roll out on those missions every day? So I could say hearts and minds for sure. That's what we were told every day. Uh, obviously we were there Fuck. for, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe crush hearts and break minds. I don't know. Something. Something. Uh, I remember when I would brief my squad, I was a sergeant at that time already. I would brief the boys and I would say, hey, this is what we're doing. We'd do security patrols. We'd go out, we'd do reconnaissance patrols where we'd set up surveillance, uh, different things, different. We had a lot of contraband that would be coming in on the uh, Euphrates. What, what kind of contraband were you guys looking for? Guns. Was it mainly guns? For sure. Yeah. Uh, how were they getting them in? What were you guys seeing? Small craft. Yeah? Yeah, right on the water, dude. Dang. How many guys on a boat? Just depends how big the... Uh, the merch was? How big the merch was, how much they were bringing in. Fuck. What would you guys do? Was it kill and capture, or was it just... There wasn't much capturing, no, I wouldn't imagine. Not in, <laughs> not in <laughs> right? those days, right? Not yeah. on those days, exactly. Yeah. Right on. So what was one of those instances like? Like, what did you guys end up finding after you closed on them? It's funny, different things. So guns was the big thing, but cigarettes. They were just smuggling? Man, they smuggled a ton of cigarettes. Uh, they smuggled enough cigarettes that the battalion had cigarettes for the rest of the deployment. <laughs> Can you believe that? Yeah, that's a lot of people. It was a ton. It was a ton. What, uh, other than that, what, what were you guys doing? What were your patrols like? I know that's more like a recon mission. What were your patrols like? So the first few months we were in the defense. We hadn't even gone out in the city. We're just holding defensive posture. Like where your fob was? Correct. Okay. Right. 
was the fob ever attacked all or was it under, yeah. under constant attack or did you were you guys able to like push out and move around no we weren't able to really push out and move really? around not yet yeah well how big was your area of operation man i'm assuming it was like most people right like you got 10 20 clicks out if you're in vehicles i would say probably did you guys do footwork? maybe smaller than that did you guys do a lot of foot stuff or was it all Yeah, vehicle? for sure. No, everything Shit. we did was dismounted. Yeah, everything we did was, my guys anyways, we were always on foot. So being in the defense before we kicked off, um, we did a major large scale operation. We assaulted the city. Uh, once we went through and we assaulted, we were able to set up battle positions throughout the cities. Yeah, so like relay points. Right, so we gained a huge foothold within and now we could actually deploy troops from within city lines to really really crack down on insurgency yeah gain and maintain right? absolutely open up and push yep yeah damn so that rotation gets done you come home what do you do when you're home hang out train i came back from that rotation i was gone for Two weeks, got a call, said, hey, come back. Went to infantry squad leaders, advanced infantry squad leaders course. Knocked that out. That was eight weeks, I think. Eight weeks, nine weeks. Mostly a sergeant's course. Got a lot of dudes in there, a lot of corporals, younger NCOs. But that, that class is really to get you cross-trained uh, and to be able to perform your job as efficient as possible as a combat leader. Right on. So you get that school and then you deploy again. That's right. Did you learn stuff in that school that was going to, that ended up helping you later on? Not really. No. Cause I'd already deployed once before in the same capacity. I was already a squad leader. So that was just kind of to freshen you up. Check the blocks. Yeah. Check the box. That's it was it. for promotion more than anything. Pretty much. Probably, yeah, right? At that point. Yeah. yeah. Right on. So how long were you back before you deployed again? Six months. Yeah? Yeah. And then it was another pump of seven months? Yeah. Right on. How did the second one go? Well, how many did you do total? Three, two were uh, combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one is another seven months? Yeah. And then how different do you think the second one was it's now a different that you war. have experience? Yeah. Well, here's fun, what's funny, right? Early on, you go and you learn all this stuff in a time where... You can perform certain things, do certain things. The rules of engagement are different, right? right? And then you cycle back. Things have changed now yeah. to how the U.S. is operating in foreign countries. You're thinking you can bring your experience from the last one, which you can, right? Your, your, your ability to stay alive and be focused. And now you know what you're looking for and how the enemy moves, things like that. But you can't engage the same, right? So you have to, you, you have to readapt, to the environment, right? Absolutely. And you guys went, did you go to a different area or the same yeah, area? Yeah, different area, different AO. Uh, that area of operation, same thing, busy, but different war, man. It yeah. was a just completely different war. Uh, I remember getting there, and like you said, you carry over certain things that will help you. Most of those things are your tactics, yeah, your leadership, and your ability to gunfight. Right? Well, that's the thing, right? The principles stay the same. Absolutely. It's how you apply the principles exactly. that, that really matters. Yeah. And they're the ones that dictate when that happens, not you. Yeah. Yeah. So did they bring the heat on the second round? They brought more? the heat. Both yeah. of those deployments. So 07 was that surge. Right. Yep. Yeah, I was there from seven and nine. Yep. That was a funky time, man. For sure. Did you guys lose anybody? We did. How many people did you Man, lose? the first one, I could tell you off bat, we lost 10. <sighs> 
Second one, we had good numbers too. I can't give you the specific, but Double first one digits? we dropped ten dudes. Yeah. Double digits. Yeah, man. That's a lot of Absolutely. American boys, bro. Absolutely. Holy shit. Absolutely. Man. They didn't go scot free. Well, no. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But still, man, one's too much. Sure. Uh, shit. Those are big numbers, dude. Big I'm, numbers, I'm man. blown away right now by how, how much. Because we lost two guys in 15 months. Yeah. And I mean, we, we fucking, we rolled around hard. But, oh, man, our shit was all dumb, too. Nothing, nothing where it was like we were proud of a fucking hardcore engagement. Sure. Both of our dudes were IED fucking strikes. Yeah. And I, dude, that drove me nuts, dude. Yeah. IEDs drove me nuts. 100%. You can do shit. Right. Like, yeah, you can do some blasting around you, but the priority is recovery. Right. You want to get your people and get the fuck out of there. Sure. Um, yeah, that's man, those things were crushers, dude. We had, uh, <laughs> yeah. I always look back and I remember one, one thing sticks out, you know, looking back, you're a kid. I was a kid. Yeah. 22 years old. If I had the mindset now with that body, different story, different story, different ball game, different war. Looking back, I remember we were out on a uh, mounted patrol riding through the city and you just hear this huge bang. And you're like, man, somebody just got crushed. Yeah. They did. It was one of our guys. Yeah. What they did was they drove a V-bid into one of the uh, patrols that was coming back. So it was Jeez. a vehicle born IED. Dude blew up the car, and I remember we responded as a QRF, set up a cordon around our dudes that were injured. And when we ran up, I remember I run up this kid, Jesus Christ, he couldn't have been any bigger. This is the biggest dude on the planet. I'm looking at him, big country boy, and he just has a piece of car stuck right in his leg, man. It just went all the way through his damn leg. And I was like, he's just, he's looking at me. He's pale as shit. He's screaming. And he's like, hey, man, get me the fuck out of here. I was like, Roger, bro, we got you. Throw a tourniquet on, call in a medevac. And we got this dude out of there. I just remember you have so much adrenaline when we grabbed this dude and we put him on the carry kit. He weighed like as much as air. <laughs> he weighed what? He the, was weightless. The fucking, uh, what is that called? Why can't uh, I think? I want to say a stretcher. Stretcher. Yeah. A litter. The litter. Yeah. Yeah. Put him on he, the litter, and he only weighed what the litter weighed. He weighed what the litter weighed. You know, yeah. you're just you have so much adrenaline pumping because at this point it's not about hey let's crush these dudes. At that point it's hey we got to save our guy. Yeah, it, it changes everything. Absolutely. Right? You're like, we gotta yeah. do this. Um, and then depending on how they're acting too, right? Sometimes yeah. they're, you have to like either tone them down, but you have to come up so that they're meeting you somewhere and right. they're bringing them down. Um, there's a whole science to that, man. Um, dealing with people in traumatic events. It's, it's pretty wild. Uh, so after that, that, that was in the first or the second? That was one. That was in the first one? Yeah. Right. I got to tell you, two was two brought it. One always stands out way more. Yeah. Yeah. What's the new event, right? It's like a new thing you're learning. It's oh, a new sure. new environment, new everything. I tell everybody that's the loss of innocence, man. That's where it's gone, especially as a warfighter. You always yeah. get, you know, people say, pop that cherry. That's, yeah. I look at it like, hey, popping your cherry for that means you lost your innocence, bro. You're not going back the same person. Yeah. You're not going back the same person. So how, how does that all affect you now? Like, how do you, 
Are you dealing with that shit well, or is it still something that fucks with you? No, you deal with it well. A lot of that stuff gets put in the back burner, put in the back of your mind, move forward, surround yourself with positive people, talk to the right people, your bros that have been there. I think uh, coping for me, the way I do it is I work. I grind work ethic and just crush it, and it just keeps everything where I need it to be. So you just continue, continue the mission. Continue yeah, pushing, as it's uh, as they say. That's right. Yeah. Have you uh, have you kept in touch with a lot of the guys from back then? No, honestly, a lot of dudes fall off. We've had a lot of guys committed suicide. Oh shit. Yeah, hundred percent. A lot of dudes have committed suicide. I talked to one of my bros. He's doing great. Super proud of him probably talk to him uh, once every couple weeks. Yeah. He owns his own barbershop, loving life, long hair, long beard, tattoos on his hands. Damn. I'm like, hell yeah, bro. I remember when you had a high and tight <laughs> and those porthole glasses. And he's like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't. This is me now. You know where you're at, Dave. <laughs> Man. It, it is cool to catch up and and I, I catch up here and there with, with the guys and man, everybody's so different. You would never expect what happens after, right? With a lot of people. Some yeah. people will go like that, long hair, right. long beard, they do their thing. Other people kind of like get butt hurt and then like they're mad at the world. Um, some dudes kill themselves. It's rough. Some dudes go to prison for life. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot man. of weird things that happen. And it, it's not that, and I know I hear a lot of those guys that are upset at the system, right? And all this is like, they get upset with whatever organization they worked with. A lot of it is self, it's a self realization where you need to understand that if you feel wronged or if you feel like something's not enough, like you didn't get enough counseling to get out or enough um, help transitioning back into the normal world, you can ask for that assistance, man. And I know dudes are proud, but if you're hearing this and you're going through something like that, there's resources where you can just talk to people and get dialed right back into the program, right back into being a, a, a normal, everyday dude. That's You'll always have to deal with something special because not everybody gets to experience certain things. But there are resources, there are places to go and talk to people and fucking really hammer that shit out. Even if it's just people that are like-minded, um, seek some people out. Don't push people away just because you think they don't know what you're going through, right? That's right, you know? man. Because there's, I mean, trauma is trauma, man. And the way humans deal with it is is either that, right? They, they put it away or they project craziness yeah. in their behavior. Um, but there's a balance. You can definitely balance all that. And Absolutely. Yeah, sometimes you're going to get a little peak here and a little valley there. But you need to be able to just learn to manage that and, and then know when it's coming, right? That's part of getting to know yourself. Like, oh, shit, I'm having not an episode, but I'm really getting down on myself because I'm remembering this event. Right. Well, cool. Now it's coming. Process the feeling. Go through it. And figure out what's causing them so that you can know how to better manage or not put yourself in situations that cause those exactly, things. Exactly, man. Like there's a lot of ways to get better about these things. Uh, so, so when I talk to guys, I'm always like, dude, figure out what triggered it and then let's backtrack and yeah. then let's figure out a system in it. And you can always put it into a mission perspective, right? Sure. You can be like, Hey, you're feeling this, well, what caused this? And then mission plan around that or create a strategy to better, um, better work around it. Um, involve your, your significant other. Maybe she can help or, sure. or you know, or he can yeah. help. And, and, and there's like, you can create this team thing where it's like, if you're all about the military stuff, still you can create that military right. vibe in your everyday life right. and not make it weird. Um, instead of pushing people away. 
which which happens a lot actually people push people away because they don't think they understand uh sad times and good times so second rotation is done you come back how long are you in before you completely are done with the marine corps man i i eased i ended active service probably about month and a half two months after that deployment damn that was it yeah what was your out process like quick did you get just like a pat on the back or take care man <laughs> you didn't get any of the, like the hey bro court. god bless thanks <laughs> a lot <laughs> like good job that's uh, it later yeah um, so no no like debriefs or or anything to reset you yeah it's funny debriefs the probably the best debrief that i had gotten was my first pump to iraq coming back right before decompression week uh, or it's right at the beginning of decompression week yeah. when you're back in Kuwait proper. And I remember the doc would come out and he's like, all right guys, here's the checklist. Let's go through this. And he'd be like, have you seen somebody killed? Have you killed anybody? What's, what bothers you? Blah, 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 blah. And it's funny. Cause all my guys are like, geez. And we're all like, yeah, yeah. Checking the box. Yeah. Right. Check that box, bro. And I remember doc was like Christ Rambo. And I was like, that's not good, bro. Don't say that to me, man. I'm out pros, bro. You know, Yeah. you're going to make this longer. Jeez, dude, relax. <laughs> but, uh, that led into decompression week, which was just kind of like, Hey dude, here's some non-alcoholic beers. You guys have a good time this week that we're here. We're going to go back stateside. And then it was just starting the out process. Yeah, then it was start the out process. Yeah, that's it. Man, that's pretty fast. It's kind of like how mine was. Uh, came back. I stayed an extra few months. I didn't want it to be over. I was like, man, everyone's going home. I don't want to leave. And uh, I was like, damn, this sucks. So I stayed a little longer, got back. And when I got back, it was just off the plane on a bus to the barracks. And that was it. Yeah. That was my welcome home. Uh, and then I was right back to work the next day. Yeah. So I missed all of that decompression week and talking to people and checking the box shit. Yeah. Cause that happened to all the dudes who came at the normal rotation. Right. Right. So the 15 of us that came back after the fact, we're like, at the time we were like, hell yeah, we didn't have to go through all that bullshit, right. not realizing what was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Cause man, my first year officially out was rough. Yeah. It was just like, holy shit, who am I? Why am exactly, I? Like, man. what is this new world? Um, because being away, doing a mission like that changes, it almost, I don't want to say that it changes your fucking DNA, but it changes how you live. Like, I was there and I lived there. Yeah. That was my world. That's it. That was my new home. I was used to fucking dirt in my fucking mouth every day. I didn't care. It was awesome. Yeah. And then you come home and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Now what? That's right. <laughs> right? It's like Absolutely. this it's like this fucking uh people like don't understand that, right? Reality. You're an infantry dude. People don't understand. Hey, your lifeline, the reason you are there. The fact is the fact. You're there to hunt down and kill the enemy. Yeah. There's nothing pretty, political, beautiful about it. That's why you're here. At the end of that, it's outprost thanks for your service. Back to the world you go. And you're like, man, I've lived in this heightened sense for this amount of time and then during this deployment so many times gunfights everything's erupting and then you're coming back and you're like that'll be 599 sir <laughs> and you're like what <laughs> and you're just like where am i what's going on here bro like yeah. this is like planet mars dude, dude shopping at the store you're just like who are these people and you just got to reacclimate to life 
It is. And I think there should be a little bit more um, training into transitioning back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Army, it's not the Army's fault, right? It's a huge organization, at least the Army side. I know the Marine Corps side is, is similar. Um, you guys should be fine, though. You guys are part of the fucking Navy. Yep. Um, yeah, we all know about Navy people. Yeah, they're great. Because <laughs> they give you boat rides. Thanks, guys. Um, no, we love all, all forces. We just... If you know, you know. We talk Correct. shit about each Correct. other. Uh, it's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, the, the transitions are, are interesting uh, for all those guys getting out. Man, it's it gets easier. Just don't freak out. Um, and if anything, email me. That's right. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get a hold of you and we'll chat. Uh, training at fieldcraftsurvival.com if you guys ever have questions about that. And I mean that in all honesty, because I've learned so much being out that I think I can help if you need it. I know I've helped a few guys and it's just about doing it. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure Chris has, has some tricks of the trade now being out. Um, how long did it take you to, to reintegrate back into society and be normal again? I don't think you ever go back to being normal. You know, the normal that we are now is never the same. It just takes you walking into a crowded area to just be vigilant again and you get right back to where you were. You're like, I'm always looking, always watchful, always on the alert. Maybe that's because I'm a cop now, but that definitely goes in tune with, that's what the Marine Corps built me to do, was just really pay attention to detail. And once you become that animal, there's no going back after that. And that's all Marines or just infantry dudes? Man, I wish I could speak for all Marines. I just speak for me, bro. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, that's good because people do feel differently, right? Some Absolutely. people come back and they're like, I turned it right off. Uh, it took me a while to figure out how to turn on and off everything that I had learned and programmed. So after a while, I was like, okay, cool. I have these unique fucking abilities, right? And... I know when to turn it on, when to turn it off, when to not be so fucking hyper about things. And uh, once you gain control of that, and maybe this is just something to look forward to for guys that are, that are transitioning, is once you can fucking manage that, it's like a superpower. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can walk into a crowded room and be all high, high alert and paying attention to everything, what kind of sneakers people are wearing, shoes, who's got laces, who doesn't, uh, who can run faster. Like you start picking out who can do what, and then I can walk into the room and just be like, I don't care. And I'm just chill, oblivious to what's happening. But the confidence comes from your abilities, right? Correct. So I'll sit there, I don't even care. Yeah. Um, I know I did the whole like, my back to the wall and watch the exit kind of shit. And then after a while I was like, you know what, dude? I could take on whatever the fuck situation happens. Right. I'll sit my back to the door and I don't care. Right. So at some point you take all of that, you embody it. And then you're like, all right, how can I make all that training me? Right. I don't need to be hyper. I don't need to be uh, sitting in the corner being the weird dude, um, wearing fucking five elevens and khaki fucking everything. And like, dude, you, you spot him a mile away. Like you don't have to do that. You can still have all of your fucking training internally. And that's where some of the cool dudes come out, right? That's Long right. hair, big beards. They don't care anymore. That's right. Um, some dudes even get fat and that's okay. Cause you could always lose weight, but you can never get unugly. 
That's the truest statement I think I've ever heard, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you can't remove ugly. I, I saw that in a meme somewhere. I you just, can't uh, remove ugly. <laughs> hey, you, you can't fix stupid either, bro. Yeah. That's <sighs> tough. Man, you can't inject, <laughs> inject them with being smarter. Oh, man. Crazy. So you're out, and how long before you became a fucking cop? Man, I took a couple months off. I just needed to just relax completely. Off like you're in college, bro? Man, I wish. I was a bouncer <laughs> at a bar in Fort Lauderdale, having a blast. Newly out, moved to Fort Lauderdale with one of the guys I grew up with. He had just gotten out of the service as well. He was in the uh, Air Force. We got down there, got a place. I just picked up a little side gig just to have some, a little bit of cash flow coming in as I figured out what I wanted to do. And once I figured it out, I just kind of locked in, hey, I think I want to do the cop thing. So I just went through the whole, who's hiring? Where can I be a cop? Started dating a girl at that time when she lived in the Keys or her parents had a house down there. And she was like, hey, my mom actually inquired for you and said that you can use the GI Bill to go to the police academy in Key West. And I was like, that's awesome. It doesn't sound like you thought that was awesome. That's paradise, bro. Why'd your voice change though? It's paradise. <laughs> I it just relaxed if me. You, if you move somewhere that's paradise, you'd be excited, but I guess you can be relaxed yeah. too. Like, oh, you don't yeah. meet people from the Keys wow. that are like that. You meet people from the Keys that are like, what's up, man? Are they just stoned? Ah, probably half just happy. Them. Hell, half of a bar. <laughs> they're having a good time, dude. The Keys are amazing. I love it down there. It's beautiful. I drove down that one, one in, one out road. And I was like, okay. That's the entire Florida Keys. Is it? (laughs) For the most part. I stopped. We we got to this restaurant somewhere and I stopped. That's where we stopped to have dinner. Um, Danny and I, my girl. But uh, (laughs) one lane roads, who thinks of these things? That's it. If there's an accident and it's a major one, you're stuck for hours. Man. Yeah, it sucks. There's like not even a service road next to it or anything. There's like room for a tire. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Holy smokes, dude. Um, so from there, <laughs> I like that place, actually. I'm going to have to go visit again. Uh, good seafood, right? Amazing. Obviously, right on the yeah, coast. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so from the Keys, what's next? The Academy. I did that in the Keys, graduated. I actually got hired with the sheriff's office down there, Monroe County. I spent uh, four and a half years there, four and a half, five years there as a deputy i worked uh the different sectors marathon proper was probably my favorite that's center keys i ended up going from there to key largo and once i got to key largo i knew you know i did the swat thing down there uh loved it and i knew there's something missing i want more i had put in for contract work at that time because one of my bros reached out for me and he said hey man Academy's hiring, Academy at that time, that was the former Blackwater. He goes, they're hiring. He was on a contract in Herat, Afghanistan. He came down, stayed with me for Thanksgiving. And he was like, hey, they're hiring, dude, you should put in. Cause I was looking to leave, you know, I wanted more. I needed that, that, that action bug back in my life. You know, I did the SWAT thing down there. Like I said, it's a slow crawl down there though. You know, there's not too much violent crime. There's not a lot of door kicking going on. so. I put in for a large department in Miami and I put in for the contract gig. I got picked up with both. 
So then it was decision time. The girl that I had initially moved down there with, we were no longer together. I had gotten, this is years later, I had gotten with my wife now, and I liked her a lot. I liked her a lot. I thought she was cool. I think she's cool too. Yeah, Chris is awesome. Yeah. And she made me get fat that day. That's right, dude. She brought fatty food. Cuban coffee too, right? (laughs) Cuban coffee too. Christ. Well, I got jazzed up on the Cuban coffee and then I had to eat the croqueta because she brought them. I couldn't say no. That's right. You can't say no to a Cuban woman. Well, she wouldn't let me. She'll cut you. Yeah. I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm keto today. And she looks at me and she's like, no, you ain't. That's yes, right. Hey, no, you go. ain't. <laughs> so yeah. it was decision-making time. I was, I knew it. You know, my bro lives in Costa Rica when he's not on rotation. Nice. And I was like, man, I like this chick, but if I date her, we're not going to stay together. I've done the deployment nah, thing. It's not going to work out. I'm going to no. head out and I'm just going to go travel the world. Yep and enjoy life, date a million chicks. I'm not gonna get hitched or married for a long time. And that that's not really what I wanted. I was like, I like this girl. So you yeah. know what, I made a decision. I called, uh, at that time it was Aegis that I had got picked up with. This is 2012, I wanna say. So I hopped from Academy, I turned that one down, put in with Aegis. I picked that one up and then when they sent me my itinerary, all my school info, I called them and I was like, hey, I got picked up with the department. I'm gonna go ahead and continue my work as a police officer. I thank you guys for everything. And the dude was like, good choice, man. Good for you, bro. I was like, oh, cool. Contract work sucks, huh? Thanks for letting me know that. It's a rough world. I know that much. I've had a lot of my bros are contractors. Dude, contracts are tricky. Yeah, man. Um, Man. Yeah, that's a slippery slope, man. You get one or two good ones and then things can change. Hopping companies is a big thing. Um, yeah. I think that's why that guy said that. He was like, good choice, man. Good yeah. for you. You know, he knows I've been a cop already for years. So, so I made the, the jump, got on with the department I'm at now. And um, I went through with the SWAT thing there. Motherfucking green pickle dudes. Um, Jeez. Are you guys pickled out too? Yeah. 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 That's like a theme, right? It's a nationwide. Who? Yeah. Well, who? No, there's got to be somewhere where they do black. There is the county. Our county guys do black. <laughs> they wear black. They're awesome. That's some ninja shit. Yeah, dude. it's awesome. Um, do they climb up trees and shit? I don't know. They Throw do a lot. Chinese stars. Pull out. <laughs> pull out a ninja star and just <laughs> chuck it. Oh, you just hear it zip through the darkness. That's awesome. Fuck, <laughs> dude. Yeah, those dudes rock all black. Solid dudes. Busy team. Yeah. Busy, busy, busy team. Good dudes and all the dudes over there, man. So, so how is it um, being in, in a major um, metropolis and being part of a SWAT team there? It's everything you want. Yeah. And that goes with both the good and the bad. Right on. What, what bad could there be? The grind of being a SWAT dude, especially this far into the game. I've been a SWAT dude for 11 years. The physical grind that your body still goes through. You know, we still have qualifications. We're full-time SWAT dudes, so you are required to maintain a physical fitness standard at all times, you know, and people don't generally understand, hey, why do you guys run so far far and so much? And you're like, it's not really for that cardio-intensive purpose. It's more mission-oriented when I'm wearing all this gear. It's 100 degrees outside, and we've been searching for this dude for 12 hours. Yeah, it's hot down here. It's hot. Yeah. Yeah. To be fully kitted out. Absolutely. Yeah, but that wears on you, dehydrates you from the outside. Right. Yeah, it's pretty rough. And you get in a totally different kind of shape out here. 
Yeah. Yeah. When you acclimate to that weather, because that's what we run in, right? You run in your environment that you operate in. I can only imagine PT out here. Sucks. Being on the range for five, six hours Sucks. here, you're just like three shirts in. Drenched. Yeah. Yeah, man. But running around. For sure. Interesting. But yeah, it's the grind, man. You know, we're always training. Um, we're a fairly busy team, well-funded, so. What's a, what's a training week look like for you guys? It just depends. It varies, you know, what the well, training it, staff give has. Me, give me something that we can, So they just they just finished people. up a, a SWAT week uh, where it was training every day. And that just covers barricades, range work. That's twice a year? Canine search. This is once a year that they do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they'll wrap up every year with the, the training week like that. Um, and it's just to really get guys dialed in, honed in. We didn't have a SWAT school this past year because of COVID. Mm. So making sure that the guys that we got from 2019 are still rock solid and bring everybody on board together, make sure that we're on the same page, turning over to 2021. So it's like a team building, revamp, right. get everybody on the same page kind of deal? Absolutely. And you guys go through everything from like handguns to pistol to room clearing to- Everything. Or handguns to carving. Right. I said pistol and car and handgun twice. Uh, same shit. Same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys, what else do you guys, do you guys do a lot of night vision training? Yeah. The guys work nods a lot. Do they? Absolutely. Yeah. We got a shoot house where we're at. So do a lot of nighttime stuff with that. Just get the guys dialed in with that little 40 millimeter field of view that just limits all your depth and perception. How is that? Do you guys run a lot of operations with, with nods? We have them with us. Every, Especially if it's a night call. op. Yeah. You know, you're required to have all your equipment. You just never know if it's, you know, if it's a daytime call out, you don't know if it's going to go through the night. So you just have all your gear with you. Yeah. Those, those always can vary. Right? For sure. Yeah. What's the longest call you've been on? Probably, man, I think that was 14, 15 hours. 14, 15 hours on a turret behind a sniper rifle. How did that go? How did it start? Hot, terrible. <laughs> There's a female uh, barricaded in a vehicle. Um, not too sure about all the details about how the call developed, yeah. uh, but it came out that she was barricaded in the vehicle with a gun. So we responded, we were there, went through all the procedures, everything through the command staff, worked every possible, utilized every possible resource we could. Um, and we were able to safely and effectively mitigate anything from happening as far as the party being involved, getting injured in any way. So we actually took her into protective custody and got her some help with the uh, Baker Act. Those are good outcomes, huh? Those are great outcomes. Yeah. yeah. And, and because policing isn't designed to be a go out and smash and kill the public, because that's not what policing is by design. Right. Right. It's uh, it's quite the opposite, actually. So the less arrests that we're doing, the less activity in theory would mean policing was actually doing what it's supposed to be doing versus I got 100 arrests. Right. Well, how many of them are actually good arrests? Exactly. And then how many of them are actually going to help and how many of them are going to create this influx into the criminal justice system, which then creates a plea bargain fucking thing where everything's plea this, plea that, instead of actually going through the process. Um, so it's good to hear that sometimes we can get situations to be solved sure. uh, in a better way. And that's what we're looking for. You know, obviously when we respond, you know, the way we see it, you got the most highly trained, well-equipped officers within the department 
together in that unit. And what you have is a group of dudes that are problem solvers. So the outcome is always meant to happen as safely as possible. We want to bring safe solutions to any of those problems. And I think that's what the public sometimes misses out on. Uh, the training and the the building of these SWAT guys and all of their experience prior to that. So like your experience with the military um, and utilizing that into SWAT. Like I think what gets missed out and if, if, you're, if you don't look at it beyond just oh, that's a, a terrible situation, right? Like, let's say a situation where a citizen gets killed, right? Uh, the training that it in, was involved in developing these individuals to be the problem solvers for the department, like when patrol can't handle it or another small unit can't handle it, SWAT comes and they handle it, right? Um, what gets missed out is that level of training isn't, <laughs> and it's funny, I have to laugh when I say this, that training isn't to make you guys better killers or more crazy adapt hunters of the public. That training is to make you the most proficient at keeping yourselves and everybody else alive. So it's actually all that aggressive training is to keep people alive. I'll say that again, to keep people alive. It's not to kill people. It's not to hunt people down. It's solely to make you the most efficient person at keeping yourself, your team, and other people in the public alive with the goal of taking people into custody, not into body bags, because policing isn't a killing thing. I don't think I, I, people miss out on that. Um, and I'm going to highlight this later when I talk about it again. I'm not going to take time away from you talking, but we're on the same page with that. I mean, you're an elite dude in a team that goes out and protects citizens and all of the training is for that. People think that all of the SWAT training and all this development and all these guns and all this kit is so that you can go hunt bad guys. It's not really the case. You guys evolve into those situations that are made by the bad guy. No bad guy, no bad situation, right? All this training can just be super elite dudes walking around in public or driving around in public not having to deal with bad guys. So there's a causality to things, right? Bad guys create bad situations, create good guys that have to protect the public from those bad guys. Um, how, do, how, do you, how do you like that? How do you feel about that? I totally agree with you, you know, and people don't generally realize how much work it takes to develop a basically trained SWAT officer into becoming a very efficient and fluid independent thinker. And that's what we look for, right? I want somebody that can make a good decision and carry out a strategy that they formulate very quickly and just do it in an efficient manner to be effective. And it's this reliability thing too, right? Yep. Like teams cycle people in and out. Right. People that aren't compatible, sure. people that look good on paper, or they look good with PT, they shoot well, right. but then personality clashes. Absolutely. And it's not that you have a bad personality. Your personality just doesn't meet this team. It could maybe meet right. a different team somewhere sure. else. Um, but but let's, let's talk about that. Like, have you seen those kind of people cycle through and cycle out? Yeah, for sure. It, you have a group of alphas, it's Mally's personalities always clash. Not everybody gets along, but it's one of those things where it's not about that, it's about the mission, you know? Those are the guys you keep, right? That's the right. guys that can understand that it's beyond me or you. Right, 
And that's the separation, right? Because just because I don't get along with you doesn't mean I don't have your back on the next call. You know, when you could prioritize that, especially, you know, and I look at it a little bit different. I've been in this game for a while, especially with the, the military service, what I did, the Marine Corps, and then branching off and being a SWAT dude for the last 11 years out of my 12 year police career. It's like, okay, you know, I've seen plenty of SWAT dudes come in and out. I've been on two teams. I've seen professional development, mindset. I've seen great dudes come by. I've seen dudes that didn't meet the cut that though they passed the standards, can shoot, just like you said, they weren't good. They weren't a good fit. Those dudes don't stick around long. And there's an old adage that says it's, it's and it's true, it's way harder to stay on SWAT than it is to get on, way harder. And I say that, you know, I laugh about it because we run one of the most intensive, physically intensive SWAT schools in the country. It's a beatdown. We're there to crush you, period. Our course is based off of the U.S. Army Selection Program. Our team was founded by Vietnam SF dudes. These dudes came back. They implemented that program. That program for over 40 years remains pretty much on par. We obviously have to switch some things up and stay with the times, stay very relevant with tactics, shooting. But that program for the most part has remained and stayed true to its originality to such a T that it still crushes dudes when they come through now. And we love that. I love the attrition. I love watching dudes that look like Adonis's cause I'm fat, right? I love watching these Adonis's <laughs> come fat. through and they're just crushed yeah. mile four into this 10 miler. And I'm like, look at me, bro. I got plenty of body fat to keep this sucker going. Let's go. But that's when you realize too, dude, it's all mental. A lot of it is, huh? Yeah, man, yeah. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Obviously you gotta be ready physically, 100%. If, if you can't, we'll put you in the hospital. Yeah, but your mind will quit before for the For sure, absolutely. You know what I mean? You and that's feeling we, sorry for yourself, like, man, do I really need to do this? And, right. And quit is an option now. Exactly, and that's what we're trying to vet. Hey man, it's great, you can run. Good job being a PT savage. We can all get there. I wanna see what you got in your chest beating. And I, I wanna see what you got that's in there when things get really hard and there's a lot of pressure on you. You gonna crumble or are you gonna crush it? And that's what we look for and that's why we run such a in-depth program. We get a lot of outsiders that come into our program. We get special forces unit from around the world that have come. Uh, the Swiss are big, they come to our school pretty much every year and we love them. But at the end of the day, we're trying to, obviously we're trying to vet everybody we're really trying to vet the guys that are gonna put that kid on and stack up on the door next to me and next to my bros. Well, that's important, right? Cause that's your lifeline, right? These Absolutely. are the guys that are rolling with you. So you got to do those assessments and you have to be hard on them. Right. It has to meet the standard to the rest of the team that they're about to join. Sure. So you have to go through that. Absolutely. Uh, did, did you, do you feel like military work uh, set you up to be more successful now in these these years as a SWAT dude? I think with certain things, yeah, it does. There, you know, there's plenty of dudes that didn't spend a day in the military that are phenomenal at being SWAT officers. A lot of those dudes played sports growing up, so I guess that's the closest you could get to it as far as working in groups. Well, the comfortability thing we right. talked about earlier. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah, I think it gave me a good head start, especially with guns, tactics, CQB stuff. I've been running that since I was a kid, 17, 18, rucking, running, doing all that stuff. Yeah, that sets you up for success. I guess the biggest takeaway is just your mindset, you know? And I say this because this is how I looked at it. I don't care how hard your SWAT school is, there's nothing harder than walking the streets of Iraq where I walked them in 05 with my bros. And I went into that SWAT school with that mentality. And even though I was beat down, there's no way you were gonna crush me, I don't care. And I lived my life like that. Cause the hardest part, that happened already. Everything now is enjoying the fruits of that labor and living a good life, man. And living a happy life with my family and my kids. You're absolutely right in, in saying that too because Unless we suit up and join again, nothing like that will happen in our life again. That's right. You know what I mean? Because I worked the, the streets of Chicago, and yeah, this shit's a shitty place, but I mean, at least the criminal side, right? The city's amazing. But when you're working these certain areas, it's shitty, like you're saying, but it'll never be that. Right. You know what I mean? It's never that. It'll never be that yeah. high-pressed fucking right. situation. Uh, so being home is like a luxury, right? right? So when dudes are complaining about stuff, I'm like, right. mm, no. or dudes are like, yeah, man, it's crazy. There was a shooting or a gunfight and you're like, yeah. it was pretty quick, man. How long did that last? Right. You should be in some that last that are pretty labor intensive <laughs> and go longer than 30 seconds. That's when you're really tired, man. Yeah, you know. fucking missions. And or man, hey, we got a couple warrants. We're knocking on one house at a time, right? Like, let's assault the city, bro. Let's go. We're house clearing by house yeah. by house. Sun by up to sundown. Prayer call to the moment we stop, bro. Let's go. You yeah, know, that's, that's the funny day, part right? to me. Yeah, that's a long. I day. always look back and laugh because in Iraq they always had the RC cola. They all had RC cola. Iraqi families, I love it. We would just stop every three houses, hold firm, go in the fridge. There's RC Cola. Give me that. <laughs> put that in my assault pack. Let's go. Man, I think RC is actually a Chicago brand. I don't oh, know how they is. got RC. It might be it's a different RC Cola, yeah. but RC Cola is a Chicago brand. It was RC Cola, and was there it? was one that had a tiger on the can. I don't yeah, remember what it was. Know. Maybe it was Tiger Soda. <laughs> One of the listeners, I'm sure, is going to tell He's us, hey, like, man, it was this. Yeah, hit us up, man. Drop a comment and tell us what it was and if we can find it again. To reminisce. <laughs> reminisce. <laughs> oh, I, I know there's a lot of listeners, uh, especially our young dudes that, that are prepping themselves, they're training. Uh, they're either already out of the military, they're already law enforcement. And I'm, I'm, I'm guiding you so that you understand where the question is going. You're already done with some sort of service or you've already passed an academy and now you're in a law enforcement capacity, right? Because um, I know you get questions like, uh, what do I need to be a SWAT guy? And then you're a good dude. So you answer and you try to give feedback and you're like, well, what are you up to now? Like, well, what are you in your agency? And they're like, well, I'm not even a cop yet. Right. And so let's get past that. Right. Right. We're already through basic. We're already through some sort of academy. Um, you're suited. You, you're, you're done with patrol. You're out of probation. You're capable of trying out for SWAT. Correct. What would be good advice for these guys that are in this position now? Not all the shit before. Come on, guys. Get 
to where you can actually become part uh, of a group that can apply or try out. Um, what advice would you give that group that's ready to go right now for a major team? Don't neglect training for one piece of the puzzle and letting another one go, meaning don't just hit the range all the time and neglect PT and don't just be a PT stud that sucks on the line. Try to manage your time, especially in a town like this. I know ammo's expensive, so dry fire. Go for a nice long run and then come back and dry fire. And, you know, I speak for myself, the school that I went through in the background that I have, do caveman workouts, weight stuff, body weight stuff, not free weights, body weight stuff, push-ups, sit-ups, hello dollies, mountain climbers, and run. For us, swimming is a big part too, man. So if you're surrounded by water, wherever you guys are, jump in the pool, man, get a lot of reps in. Oh, cause, well, around the Florida area, do a lot of agencies have to have like a water certification? I don't know if it's a certification, but Some we just, sort of water yeah, we run an intensive program because, you know, where I'm at, we're surrounded by water. Yeah. Like yeah. what happens if you fall in and you're For wearing a sure. full kit? I'll float. <laughs> I'm like a manatee, bro. It's so funny because you might flow, but what about somebody else? Well, if they're skinny, they're not going to be buoyant, bro. They're dead. They're going straight That's down, it, dude. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> you did learn CRP though, That's right? Because right, you got to, you know, That's right. pump the chest and kiss the mouth, That's or right. however that goes. <laughs> That's part of SWAT training That's for awesome. sure. Oh man, cool. So, in a nutshell, don't just hyper focus on one activity. Uh, try to be well-rounded because that's what they're looking for. They're that's looking right, for well-rounded dudes that are not only good at shooting, they're not, they're good at everything. They're good at shooting. They're good at running. They're good at understanding uh, a team dynamic. They're good at listening because you have to be able to follow before you lead. Um, all those little things that um, make it easier for military guys that were crushed into this style of living. Um, not that it's not possible. I know a lot of great dudes that are SWAT guys that, that are even cops that are just never, never, they were never military. Um, so it, it's not, a, it's not a requirement. It just so happens that it's a little easier because you already, yeah, come yeah it's always controversial too. When that question yeah, comes up, cause sure. some dudes that weren't in the military take it to heart. Maybe that's an insecurity that they try to project out and they're like, Oh, I wasn't in the military. You say I'm not good as you. Yeah, and you're bro, like, I did this. Hey, and man, hey, nobody dude, said that. Bro. Nobody's mad at you. Yeah. dude. Like, <laughs> and it's not a comparison. Exactly. Right. Um, I don't walk around with like stuff that says I was in the military. I try to actually look less military or less law enforcement. Uh, yeah, dude, nobody's mad at you. Yeah. It's just life choices, yeah, man. That's it. <laughs> some people choose one, some people choose another that's and, it, and be proud of all of that. Uh, no need to get butthurt about stuff. Uh, so in your sniper career, uh, what, what's the main activity? Cause I know there's, there's like, um, there's like breachers, there's, um, what, what other roles have you done or what's your main role now? I think I've done all of them. So <laughs> lace them out. So people know geez. what are some, some, you got positions. the assaulter, you know, the team dude that's, uh, you're going in making entry. I did the assault thing. Uh, the door kicker, been a breacher, been a team leader, uh, in my former department sniper for hell over a decade now, well over, 
uh, waterborne team, my last department, so or waterborne certified. So it's kind of like, like Baywatch, exactly like it. You got the buoy, and I'm running in the red shorts. Is it a green buoy though? It's no, no. It's a red one, oh. and it matches my Baywatch shorts, bro. They're red. Damn. Jeez. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. I think uh, as far as roles. I've had my hand in everything, uh, including training. You know, I was part of the training staff for, I think about a year and a half. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite position? Having done them all and been around all of them, which one do you think for you specifically stands out and is something like, that's your jam? For sure, training staff. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way that I've catered my lifestyle to. That's what it's become, you know? The training aspect is where you really get to hone in and help people develop really critical skills and build that efficiency that you need them to have. You know, you, you get to really, and that's groundwork up, right? So that's from the moment they, they arrive at your footsteps for day one of SWAT school, all the way through senior dudes that you crisping up on the line shooting and they're just like, wow, or, some new piece of kit or equipment that comes out that you just happen to have a ton of knowledge on and you pass that along and people are like, man, that was great intel, dude. Thanks for that. You really helped me out. So I think definitely the training aspect. Number two would definitely be the sniper aspect of it. You know, long distance precision, that's my passion. Um, and I think those those two things definitely stand out. So the sniper stuff is is one of your, your jams? Absolutely. Uh, how How... How much of that do you do in operations? It just depends. Is it? Yeah, it just depends. Like you, what the actual situation right. is. Right. Absolutely. Right on. Who's there? What the availability is? Do we, you know how many snipers are here for this call out? So, so is that something like first come, first serve kind of deal? It could be. Yeah. Could depending be. on the yeah. situation. Yeah. Makes sense. That's how a lot of things develop, right? Sure, it's like yeah. whoever gets there starts to take priority over certain things. Because uh, situations can take a long time right. or they can go dynamic right. and just be done right away. Right? right. So it's like, you gotta get the right guys moving and capable of all things. Absolutely. We're pretty good at that, man. We're phenomenal at that. We have leadership that is very deliberate. Hmm. They make very good decisions. They don't just jump right in. So they'll observe and provide a good strategy for the men to carry out. Um, and I think that that's something that's that alone in itself carries its own weight with the men, especially when it comes to real world ops. Um, we know that when we get there, we're going to formulate a solid plan and, and we're going to execute it, you know, so that's, well, there's a level of confidence that comes to that, right? When you have good amongst the men and amongst the leadership, for yeah, sure. when the leadership's like that, yeah. you're like, I'm going because going. I know that they're going to make good decisions right. and we're there. Yeah. Um, that's really cool to hear. So uh, now we've we've covered a lot. We've covered a lot of who Chris is, T-Tog or Tater Tog. Um, this evening it will be Tatog. Tatog. Uh, we're changing it up. You got to change it yeah. up. Yeah, it's the evolution of that's what's happening <laughs> <laughs> of this uh, this little embodiment. Uh, how is that? How is uh, tactical training operations gang? It's awesome. I changed it, so you know. I love it. Yeah. I think that's sounds... actually pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you for that. Oh. It's awesome. You know, I put uh, everything that I can into it. 
as far as commitment, commitment to helping others get better, hone in on their craft. I think TTOG initially started out in my mind as a way for me to convey a message of my experiences, both good and bad, and how to pass that information along to others to make them better. And I found through my experience, whether it was legitimately breaking a gunfight down years later after it happened, right? Cause you never just do it right then and there. And you're like, man, it's really later on when you have that time and you're like, man, I really see that. All the way back to the first time that I squeezed the trigger on a dude and you look back at that and you're like, hell yeah, okay. That's what I did here. This is what I did there. How do I take these bits and pieces and just put together a dynamic curriculum to cut the fat and get to the point? And I think that that's what I've been able to do with TTOG. One of the reasons why is obviously I love training, but I really enjoy just getting to the point, man. Cut the bullshit and let's get to it. Yeah, you can tell that's that's what the vibe is. Like watching some of the videos and seeing how you teach and hanging out on the range and just sharing a range, man. It's it's really cool because uh, I don't get to share a range with a lot of people. Um, mostly, it's my choice, <laughs> right? Because I get to pick who I train with. That's awesome. Uh, so. I go where it's important for me to go, where I can pick up things, where I can learn from other people. Um, and I'm constantly doing that. I'm always looking at stuff, right? Like my, that's my jam. Yeah. Uh, I sit and listen and I watch the students and I watch how other people teach and I'm like, okay, cool. Here we go. This is this, this is that. Um, so it's really cool watching you teach. I, I, I like being around for that. And I like the way the students interact with you and the whole dynamic on the range. It's just a fast paced day. It's a good time. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad that TTOG has been successful for you, and I'm glad that you're with Fieldcraft doing our jam, uh, and we get to blend the two and and your experiences from from where you come from, uh, and how all that shit blends into who the fuck you are. Cause it's been a cool ride so far, and I mean, we've been jamming for what now? Almost a year now. <laughs> grinding, yeah. dude. It's grinding. A, it's it's amazing how time flies and you don't realize it. That's um, right. Florida is a cool place. I like this, this, this state and it's been really good. Um, it's been really good in the sense of the community that we've built. Uh, even today, people showing up and, and being like, oh man, uh, let's talk about this. Well, let's talk about that. Or what do you think about this? Um, and uh, I have a group of people doing this, like, what should we do? Right. And it's like, Hey, do this, do that. And empowering them Absolutely. to, to do more and giving them tips on how to teach. Like those are the little things that I think people um, don't get elsewhere. We're trying to help the people that come to the classes learn to teach whoever they're going to teach. Well, I think that's what separates the caliber of teachers that we have. Right. Cause it's easy to be an instructor. Yeah. You could just get up there legit and regurgitate information that you've never even used in your life or read a PowerPoint, sound really sharp doing it. And in reality, you have no idea what you're really talking about. And the difference between the Fieldcraft guys, and I say pretty much everybody else, man, is we have a really good way of teaching. I'm not just gonna tell you what you did wrong and be like, fix it. 
and walk off. I'm going to actually sit there with you and walk you through exactly what you need to do to work on that, to build it, develop it, hone it, exploit it, and then crush it. Right? Because that's the goal. And then when you're able to give that to somebody, that changes their life. And that's what being a teacher is, right? So I look past being an instructor. Being an instructor is fun. I was an instructor 15 years ago in the Marine Corps when I'm just talking to my dudes and instructing them. I'm a teacher now, you know? And I think that that's the way of the tribe because we teach preparedness. You're an educator. You love that. (laughs) That's right, dude. Oh, man. That was awesome. Dude, uh, it was great to finally get to sit and chat and... Um, piece together the criticism. You like that? I, I just made that shit. That's up. awesome. Yeah. Criticism. Criticism. That's how awesome. Um, so, and that's that, like we tried, right? And it's hard to to stuff a fucking lifetime into an hour, hour and a half conversation. Uh, uh, and I know we've just scratched the surface on topics, and we'll probably do this again and uh, be like, well, shit, let's talk about this or let's talk about that. Um, but for this, this was focused on getting a chance to get to know you. Uh, and then, fuck, well, now that people know you, we can do, uh, we can do, I was going to say dumb shit, but we probably shouldn't because uh, that always ends up badly. <laughs> that never led me to a good place. <laughs> no. It hasn't yet anyways. Oh, man. But what we can do is we can take on topics of the month, like shit that's happening around the world. Absolutely. Uh, like, uh, like, let's get controversial, dude. Let's help with this election. Let's do this. Five minutes. Go. I'm going to tell course. you something and you're not going to like it. <laughs> it's controversial. <laughs> and it may drop some jaws. <laughs> I have no idea what happened with this election, bro. Holy fucking mess. I'm just going to be honest. I'm like, man, what's going on here, bro? This yeah. is just craziness. Dude, it's insane. It's just crazy. Whoever got elected, got elected. You know, from that standpoint, I'm a man of service. So knowing while I was in the Marine Corps, it didn't matter who the president was. That's the commander in chief. Carry out the operation. Shut your mouth. Move forward. Going in line now, where we're at, I think there may have been some very bad dealings done under the table kind of stuff to take stuff away from people. Whether that would have made a difference or not, I don't know. I like to play fair, right? When things are supposed to be fair, I like to play fair. I don't think that was fair. That's what that's what's bugging me the most, right? And that's what I think is bugging everyone the right. most. It's like, I don't mind losing yeah. when it's fair. That's right, dude. Right? Yeah. When everything is fucking like down the line, sure. everything was done well. But all this bullshit and uncertainties, like if it was like a clean cut, like Mm -hmm. this is how it went and not all this fucking like shit we're seeing. It's crazy. It's like, man, uh, I could take that better. Right. Right. Um, We'll remember guys like us are built from failures. Right. right? So we appreciate failure. We don't look at it like, can't believe we lost that crap. I look at a failure as a starting point for success. Right. But if I failed, whose fault was it? It was mine, right? Majority of the times it was mine. Failure, when you're not playing on an even field, when it's supposed to be, 
one of the most even things around, right? Since yeah. the inception of democracy, this is what's been going on. Let's vote who we want in. Yeah, we the people. We the people, bro. And you know, it just That's seems what shady. you're saying though is yeah. is what creates the the anger and the outrage and people fucking getting mad. It's crazy. Because when something's supposed to be a certain way and then the people that we trust to keep it that way are not. Yeah. Dude, we get pissed. Yeah. And it's all sides, right? Sure. Uh, things need to just... <laughs> politics are a fucking monster, man. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see now that more vets are getting into politics to see how that's handled. I agree. Um, I look forward to seeing how that works out. But yeah, there should be a balance, though. Not It doesn't need to be a whole vet <laughs> group of sure. politicians um, because there are good politicians that are doing the right thing and, and trying for the best. Uh, That's right. But that balance, man, and the fact that it's not fair creates right. that fucking rage. Yeah. And uh, it, it will bring people out. Um, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. There's time. Yeah. Moving forward yeah. with one of those things, bro. I just look at it now like I'm going to worry about my span of control which is my direct life, my family. And, you know, let's see what happens, bro. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about Thor and Odin in the old gods? Oh, man, that's awesome. That's a whole nother conversation, Absolutely, right? Dude. We're about to go down Absolutely. that motherfucking rabbit hole. Because I, 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 I guess I don't talk about this often because I don't get into these things, but... I believe that all of the entities that have left an influence on mankind were the same entity that came at different times to give us the lessons that we needed at the times that we were getting them, right? So when we were fucking barbarians, we had barbarian gods. That's right. When we evolved a little bit, our God evolved a little bit, right? And this is going to piss a lot of people off. Check it out. If you're mad about this, grow up. You need to be capable of having a fucking conversation with people about things, right? And this isn't what I truly believe. This is what I believe right now. Because as I grow and I learn more, every time I read a book, every time I read something with information that is uh, guided towards the capacity of my higher understanding, I... I learn a little bit more and I grow a little bit more, right? So I respect all belief structures, all faiths, all the gods that everybody believes, and I dig it. I'm into that jam, um, but I'm learning still and I'm growing. And, and yeah, I, I like to think that the evolution of, of man um, was also, also caused by God's evolution of man. Like he didn't just make us and let us grow. Like he's been an impact on us. Uh, I just don't like to just narrow it down to like one little thing, one entity. I think it's beyond that. Um, I agree. I don't even know why the fuck we went down that. I route. don't think it was that dark of a rabbit hole, though. You you bring well, up some valid. Well, points, I tried bro. to make it not dark. I was like, let me scale it back a little. You had more. nods on. I did. You had the nods yeah. on. You could still yeah. see. Yeah. You know, you're working the room. Yeah. Yeah, I tried. It was good. <laughs> yeah, it, was good. Uh, it needed to apply to everybody. We'll revisit that on the dark side <laughs> soon. That that is, <laughs> I could talk about that shit for hours. Um, let alone psychedelics and getting on some fucking mind altering fucking world changing. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's end it there. Uh, Chris, where can people find you if they want to look you up? T T O G underscore LLC 
on Instagram, on YouTube, and on Facebook. Damn. Check him out, folks. Chris Gulls, Florida-based badass. Check me out. Come to a class. Learn how to prioritize in a gunfight. Come to a fieldcraft class. Come with, come hang with the tribe, man. Yeah. That, man, the people we meet in classes. They're awesome, dude. Fuck, we should do a, 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 we should do that. We should do a podcast and highlight all of the coolest people we've met. I agree. Damn, um, that's a good idea. Because you can summarize it because so many of the people like-minded driven they want to be better they want to excel and so they're there for that um we could definitely do one i think that'll be a good episode there's a lot of good people around this country that we're so lucky understand that message of preparedness and come out and hang out with us and train with us and it's great because we train alongside them as well that's the best part when we can share and then they share and then we do it together. That's right, man. Like that's the jam. So, all right, folks, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for Chris or thanks to Chris for being here and sharing a little bit about himself, his company and how he ended up doing what he does. And the fact that he's helping field craft grow, uh, definitely a good time, good conversation. And again, thanks. This is Raul signing out for field craft survivals podcast. <laughs>